0: Our text today is from Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. While you're turning there, let me just remind you what Jake was saying earlier, that our desire is that as many of you as possible would join us in memorizing the book of Philippians. These are words that are going to help you rejoice in difficult times, help you come to love Your brothers and sisters in Christ to join us together in great affection. These are the language of a church that loves one another. So spend time doing this. And if you are willing, today I am going to recite 1 through 11. And I would like this to be the last time I'm up here reciting the text. I would like to have you guys You're memorizing it with us to read or recite the sermon text for us every week. So let us know at some point this week if you're joining us in that effort and you would like to come up and and share these wonderful truths. Just recite it and then we'll come up and preach after you. So Philippians chapter 1. I have three up here. I'm going to start in verse 1 and go through 11. Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your Well, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. how oh, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we dive into this treasure of Bible, God's words to us, let's pray. God, your love is deep. It is a deep, deep love that we are only beginning to swim in. And you allow us to dive in because of the blood of Christ, making us pure and blameless. And I pray, God, that the joy that is found in this letter between Paul and this church in Philippi would, would be our joy, would be our affection. Take this message and, and the next few months as we go through, the book of Philippians, and shape us into lovers of one another as we join arm-in-arm in joyful gospel partnership for the glory and praise of your name through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've spent even just a few weeks with us here at Redemption City Church, you may have noticed that we often express great affection for you. Oftentimes, I'll just stand up front and look out and see your faces and smile. I love to hear your voices and just stop singing and listen to the rest of you. Jake often starts off a call to worship saying, it is no Accidents that you guys are here. It's a marvelous work of God that you would join us to worship. And when we take visitors out to coffee or lunch throughout the week, we brag about you. We, We just love this church. Not at all because we think we're doing such a great job of teaching and leading and communicating and organizing things. We admit we have a long way to go. In improving on those things. What we love about this church is all of you. Every single one of you. You prioritize worship together on Sunday mornings. You share the gospel with others throughout the week. Your generosity to give to this ministry, to care for those in need. Your humility to seek correction and guidance from one another. Your willingness to serve. Your desire just to be together throughout the week. All of these evidences of God's Spirit in you, and it fills us with so much joy. Our affection for you is real. We're not making it up to put on a show. Our hearts are genuinely filled with thankfulness for everybody that's part of this church. You might look around and go, I don't know what that guy's talking about because I see this and I see that and weakness and and brokenness and conflict... How can anyone have such a love for these people? We don't deny that those things might be true, but that we see something even better that that drives us to give all of our affections towards that instead. And our desire, as we preach through the book of Philippians, our desire is that our affection for you would, would multiply, abound among yourselves and overflow into this city. As you press on towards joyful gospel partnership. That's the main idea this morning, not just from this text, but I think the whole book of Philippians is to press on toward joyful gospel partnership. Paul starts off his letters with prayers that kind of tell him, this is where I'm going. This is what this letter is all about. What Paul is saying here is that this hopeful attitude, this thankful affection for one another is a key evidence of our salvation. And this is the thing that's going to help us overcome all of those problems that still remain among us. The gospel unifies people into a family, people that love each other deeply and grow together in service so that when the world looks at us, they say, Something different happened in there, and we can tell him about Jesus. So to help us grow in this affection, Paul starts this prayer, starts a letter with this prayer that has kind of three parts to it. In verses 3 to 6, Paul is looking backward at past evidence of gospel partnership in the Philippian church. He remembers how they responded to the gospel, and it fills him with joy and moves him to thankfulness. And then in verses 7 to 8, we're going to ponder the experience of present gospel joy. Even in the midst of him being in jail and all kinds of other things, there's something he has with the Philippian church that makes him confident, unwavering in Christ. And finally, in verses 9 to 11, Paul prays for future gospel grace. He wants his love for them to multiply among themselves, even in his absence. So let's go through this starting in verse 3 again in this first section and look at the Philippians past gospel partnership. Again, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy, joy. You have to smile when you say it because this is the reason he's so joyful because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began that very good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You've probably heard before that the book of Philippians is all about joy. If you've heard anyone teach on it, or read any commentaries on it. The theme, they say, is joy. Words related to joy are repeated throughout this letter, but that's really only a part of it. Joy is more of the flavor of the main idea which is gospel partnership. Paul does say right away that he makes his prayer with joy, but what does he say makes him so joyful? It's the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. And he's thinking about all kinds of things he's experienced with them. Remember when Patrick was preaching last week, he took us back to Acts 16, to the very beginning of this Philippians church. And as soon as people, the day, the moment people heard him preach the gospel, they repented, put their faith in Christ, and became partners in ministry. Lydia and that jailer, the guard of the prison, invited them into their homes and fed them and equipped them and supported them with their own money and with more people to go along with them. From the very first day they heard the gospel, they became vital partners in ministry. The beginnings of this church are people giving everything to proclaim the gospel. Paul really stresses the value of every single person in this church. Even right from the first verse, usually Paul will start a letter saying Paul and then give his title or his authority, apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then list, oh yeah, by the way, Timothy and Silas are with me too. But this time he pulls Timothy, his name right up front, and they have the same title. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And then the very next verse. He doesn't just address the whole church in general. Hey, you Philippians, you know who I'm talking about. It says, all of you, all who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Not just the overseers and deacons, but the ones that serve with them. This flavor is throughout the whole section here today. Verse four, my prayers are for you all. Verse seven, I feel this way about you all for you are all partakers with me in grace. Verse eight, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's not just you church collectively. It's every single one of you sitting there in those chairs. I thank God for all of you. Every single one of you fills me with joy. You're all valued in this gospel partnership. And throughout the letter, Paul explains some of the things they did. When he got thrown in jail, someone else stood up to preach. And others gathered around to pray. He says in verse 19 that their prayers were effective in encouraging him, making his faith stronger. Chapter two, he says their obedience to the gospel is a continuing testimony of his preaching that they're not doing it just for him because he's gone. They're doing it because Christ is in them. The great example of this amazing partnership is Jesus himself, who is in the very form of God. Chapter two says the climax of the whole book. God himself in glory emptied himself of that privilege came down to serve broken, weak, sinful, ordinary people like us, to walk with us, to wash us, to carry us, and bring us to glory with him. God himself is our partner. Paul saw this same spirit of Christ at work in specific people. He mentions Epaphroditus after that. One of them, one of their brothers, Paul's in jail. They send him hundreds of miles across the sea at risk of his own life to go care for Paul in jail. They loved each other so much. In chapter four, Paul says that no other church embraced him, cared for him, supported him like the Philippians did. All of this is evidence that God is powerfully at work in them. So powerfully that Paul says in verse six, I am sure of this, that what is starting among you will grow continually and keep on going and be brought to completion at the day of Christ. Committing yourself to partnership in a local church is evidence that God is working in you. We often like to use this verse as a very personal encouragement. Well, when I gave my life to Jesus, he saved me and he promised that he'll get me to heaven. And that's, that's true, and that's included in this, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's not just you, but the people around you. The, the church is God's means of getting you to the end. The church is the one that en- encourages you and builds you up and says, keep on going, don't go that way. A real collection of people that you know their names are the ones that you need to go deeper into gospel partnership with. It is that commitment that will affirm your faith and build your joy. This is why we love you guys so much. This church as I hope you know is not about the elders getting together and coming up with a program and and other ministries that we stand up here and call you to come and fill our vision. But we have flipped it around. Our job is to teach you and equip you and empower you and send you out. And when you do it, it is a joy to watch. It is incredible to hear what you do with this gospel. You volunteer on Sundays to teach kids to work in the nursery, to greet people at the door, to play music, to sit near other people and be a friendly face and welcome them. Throughout the week, you share the gospel with people that we would never get a chance to come in contact with. You open your homes for community groups and Bible studies and events, just, or just to be friendly to your neighbors. You counsel and disciple one another. You meet together to pray. You start marriage support groups and adoption support groups. We just stand up here and preach. We preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And then you guys grab hold of that beautiful gospel diamond and you take it throughout the city and you shine it in so many ways. It's a beautiful sight to behold. And it's this kind of partnership that creates the experience for us of present gospel joy that Paul explains in verses seven to eight. Let's look at those again. He says, it is right for me, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul, This joy that Paul is talking about isn't some feeling that's a byproduct of favorable circumstances. In fact, Paul says we should always be this way, even in difficult circumstances. He commands it. In chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always! Again, I will say, rejoice! It's like that Bob... New heart skit, do I got that right? Where he says, just do, stop it. If you're, if you're struggling with something, just stop it. He's saying, just do it. Be happy. Be joyful. But it's not quite that shallow. Lasting happiness isn't really just for those who have good things happening in their life, who are super spiritual. It doesn't come and go as circumstances change. He commands joy always. In fact, he says here in verse 7 that it is right, right to feel this way about your church. When you hear me express this great affection for all of you, you might just think, well, you're the pastor. You have to feel that way. Or, Or maybe you're just a naturally happy guy. Phil laughs. Maybe he knows I'm not. Or perhaps you just think, man, that pastor is blind because I see all kinds of problems here. I don't know what he's looking at. And there, we do have flaws and weaknesses, and I can affirm that I see them. I can sympathize with that, but I can't affirm the attitude that dwells on them. Because Paul says here it's right to have joyful affection for the church. The word right here is the same word used throughout the New Testament for righteous. Or just, meaning it's the way things should be. This is the way God designed the world and designed us from the beginning to be in partnership with one another in a way that builds our joy and creates, cultivates, and defends life in this world. But we know that sin has corrupted all of these things, these partnerships And it makes us skeptical and critical of one another. Burns us out having to try so hard to fix one another. And it keeps us then from joining in further partnership. It's kind of this really terrible cycle. The more you recognize problems in relationships, the more cynical you become. And the more cynical you become, the less joy you have. And the less joy you have, the less you want to contribute to the relationship. And the more you create brokenness i had a friend at a former church a long time ago once tell me how frustrated he was with the church we were on a team together that was trying to pull things back together after a serious conflict we had and he he pulled me aside one time after one of those meetings and said i'm just struggling because i don't really like this church Don't get me wrong. I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay faithful to my commitments, but I'm not going to invite anybody to this church because I'm embarrassed by them. That was a long time ago, but I remember those emotions well. I shared them with him. I didn't know what to do with it. I, I knew somehow it was wrong to feel that way. I struggled. How are we ever going to turn this ship around if we ourselves aren't emotionally invested for these particular people. And now I get it. I was convicted as I read this week Paul saying it is right to feel joyful affection for the church. And so the opposite is true. It is wrong. It is sinful to dwell on bitterness, frustration, anger, disappointment, or embarrassment for your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the bride of Christ we're talking about here. He loves us. He delights in us. Jonathan was right to say us singing to him blesses him. (sighs) Yeah, we have faults, but Jesus died for them and he's fixing them. Complaining about the church doesn't say anything about us that we don't already know, but it does reveal what you believe about Jesus and what he has done for us. We need to figure out how to grow in the joy that Christ has for us, for one another. Every church has problems. Indeed, the church at Philippi had problems too. They thought they had failed Paul. They were scared of persecution and thought they might lose their own lives. In chapter three, we see there's false teachers that they need to confront and correct. In chapter four, Paul calls out by name publicly to women who are not getting along. Paul's command to have the right feelings of joy isn't to say, ignore the problems or just pretend like they're not there. Just put on a face and act like it's all good. Paul's encouragement isn't to deny very real suffering. Many of you here know what my family went through a couple of years ago with health and adoption challenges. It was the most painful, challenging time of our lives. But also, some of the greatest joy in Christ came out of those moments. As we would gather with you, and you would proclaim Christ coming again to redeem us and restore all things. Oh, that was joyful balm for my broken heart. You were all gospel partners leading us to joy. We're not talking about offering cliched phrases. God's working all things for good, you know. That's not what Paul's saying. He says in chapter four, he has learned. It's a process. He has learned to endure suffering, trials, conflict, because he knows the secret of joy through it all. It's looking for Christ in his people. He's at work everywhere, especially and most clearly in this Philippian church. He holds them in his heart and it brings him such joy. They are partners with him in grace. They've visited him in prison. They came to his defense when he got in trouble. They confirm the gospel, meaning their continuing faithfulness proves that Paul was right. Not because of how persuasive he is, but they are proof of the gospel's power. And when Paul sees Jesus continuing to work in every one of those faces, when he hears reports in, his, in those letters, oh, praise God, you are keeping your promises to those people. The joy just keeps flowing out. He says, for God is my witness, meaning I'm not making this up, guys. God, the God of the universe who sees everything. He sees down into my heart. He will testify the depth of my love for you. The affections go down so deep. The word here is a Greek word meaning like into the caverns. The deepest parts of my heart are the affections of Christ in me for Christ in you. Paul loves Jesus. And he sees Jesus so clearly in them that it fills him with joy. And so we feel the same way about you. We marvel regularly that we get to be a part of this church. Every time I stand up here, I just can't believe I get to see your faces and that you would care to listen to what I have to say. It's ridiculous. I hear reports all week long of your faithfulness at work for caring for people. You're sharing your gospel, the gospel with someone, how you served and blessed your spouse, how you encouraged and trained up your children, how you gathered other people. You called up the single people and said, come, let's go hang out together. Oh, you're all so amazing. And for God is as my witness. My love for you goes deep. Do you feel that same way about everyone else in this room? Do you just long to be together? And when you are together, oh, it's the greatest moment. Paul says you should. How can we build this affection more? Let's look at our final section together for the, the answer. Verses 9 to 11 give us the promise of future gospel grace. Not just that day long in the end, certainly that's true, but for tomorrow, for this week, to fill you with his joy. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, Paul's prayer turned from thanksgiving, thinking about the past. Thank you, God, for what you have done in those people. And that attitude of thankfulness for others fills him with joy that he says, I want them to have it too. So, he turns his prayer now and says, God, fill them with the same joy. More of it than even I have. It's quite interesting because in verse six, he said that he's confident that God is going to do that work. He knows that God is going to unify these people into faithful gospel partners until the end. And yet he still prays. We love this doctrine of God's sovereignty here in this church. We love to know that God is in absolute control over every aspect of our salvation. From calling us in eternity past to Christ on the cross for our sins, for his spirit coming into our hearts and renewing our, our hearts and minds and hanging on to us until the end. God is in control at every single moment. And yet, that leads some people to ask the question. I've heard it from some of you. And then what's the point of praying if God is in control? What's the point of preaching? What's the point of doing anything good if God does it all? But that wasn't a contradiction in Paul's mind. He said to the Corinthians that through the foolishness of preaching, God is saving the world. He says to the Philippians in the next chapter that we do good work because God is working in us. And now he's saying that prayer is simply joining God in his guaranteed work. Prayer is part of joyful gospel partnership with God. And it grows by knowledge and all discernment. That's to say that this love isn't just some emotional experience we whip up. But it's founded in truth. It's gained in wrestling with God over... That can't be true. It seems... It has to be true. I don't like it. Oh, but I love it. And then... Working with other people and going through the same thing and conflict and pressing through that conflict and promising to stick it out together. We can't ignore truth and just cover it up with shallow emotionalism. If you want joy, real, deep joy and affection, don't pull away when it gets hard. Don't sit at the edges and wait for things to maybe get a little bit better. Jump in. Get to know people, wrestle together with God and with us and watch your joy grow as you grow in love for one another. Love is choosing to look for good in others and praising them for it and encouraging them to grow in those praiseworthy traits. Love is a a choice and an affection. It's a choice to work for the good of others. And as I work for the good of others and see the good in my brothers and sisters, suddenly I feel like I actually love them. What a concept. We've got to learn to do what Paul says in these verses. If we want to grow in our joyfulness, we need to learn to approve what is excellent in each other. Now, a good theologian is going to say, Aha! There's nothing excellent in each other. So now we're stuck. So you see how easy it is to become critical of one another. We, we love to point out each other's faults and it only builds skepticism and doubt and frustration with one another. Because it's so hard to find that goodness. So we're in a bit of a pickle. We, in order to grow in love and affection and joy, we need to look for the good in one another and there's no good in one another. So now we're in this terrible cycle. How are we going to do this? It's just so easy to fall into a critical spirit. I know that some of you are in marriages where it's hard to climb out of this cycle. You're just trapped in tearing each other apart all the time and picking at minor things. Some of you just carry this weight around with you all the time that someone else is always trying to find out your faults, watching for every mistake. Some people bring that into the church. Everyone just is totally aware of my faults. We're not. But it's the more critical you are, the more you think everyone's critical of you too. So how do we escape this cycle? Paul says in chapter 4, you got to memorize the whole book, but you got to memorize these words. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So if you want the same affections as Paul, love, joy, peace... You need to do what Paul did. Think about whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. And what is more true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy than Jesus himself? This is Paul's secret for joy and love and contentment. Find Jesus at work everywhere. In every circumstance, Jesus is at work. He's shaping you for an eternity of joy. In every relationship, every conflict, he is confronting you with an opportunity to go deeper into affection for him. Jesus, he was the only person who didn't ever do anything worthy of criticism. He alone is excellent and worthy of praise. Yet he took upon himself... Our sins, our criticism, our doubts, our embarrassment. And he washes us clean on the cross to make us pure and blameless, as Paul says here, for the day of Christ. But he doesn't just... Wash us to forgive us and say, hey, can't wait to see you in heaven. But he also rose from the dead in order to fill you, like verse 11 says, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him alone. And what is Paul thinking of is this fruit of righteousness? It's joyful gospel partnership. It's the same word that he used in verse 7 for right. It's righteous to feel this way. And that righteous feeling only comes through trusting in Christ. When you have your heart made new by him, you're given eyes to see. And suddenly you can stand up in front of everyone and just go, I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you too. Oh my goodness. I see Jesus in you. Hang in there, friend. I still see Jesus in you. If you want to grow in that joy and affection for one another, you've got to start looking for Jesus in one another. Affirm in them their Christ-likeness, no matter how small it is. Water that seed. Nurture that little sapling, that little seedling, so it can grow into something more visible for everyone to see. Make a habit of thanking God for the good you see in each other. And soon you will see your heart erupting in joy. This is what it means to be discerning that Paul calls us to. The word discernment has kind of gotten a bad name. Like it's finding what's wrong with everyone and calling it out so I can fix it. But discernment is being able to see Jesus there in the midst of all the chaos. Determining, is he there? If he's there, I'm going to find him and I'm going to praise him. Approve what is excellent. We all need practice at this. It's so easy to complain about... Things in each other. Parents, how easy is it to criticize your kid and not praise them? Spouses, quick to complain but slow to admire. All of us are prone to see the faults in one another, but we're so slow to applaud. Why? Paul gave us a better way. If we want to overcome our weaknesses, if we want to train our children up, if we want to grow in our own joy, it's going to come by approving what is excellent. He could have ripped those Philippians apart. Instead, he looked for Jesus in them and he praised them. This is how we will be assured of our salvation and grow in joyful gospel partnership. So if you want to grow in this this attitude, I encourage you, as we've said already, memorize the book of Philippians with us. That's the best way. Another way, I have two copies of this book called Practicing Affirmation by someone who mentored me a little bit up in up at Bethlehem. And it just dwells on this topic, how to look for good in others and praise them to the glory of God. So if you want one of these, come up afterwards and get it. Janelle. I'll order more. If more people want them, I'll order more and I'll put them on the table and back. And there's some from our last sermon series. Grab one of these. They're free. Whatever you want. So, I want us, I'm encouraging us to grow together in this ability to love one another by joyfully affirming Christ in us. That's going to be our witness to this city. This love we have for one another because we love Jesus in each other. And notice at the end of verse 11, this is all done to the glory and praise of God. If you praise somebody, you're not, you're not praising them and encouraging bad behavior you're recognizing god at work in them and you're nurturing that you're just recognizing god there and giving him the praise for it so i pray that our next few months in philippians will grow us in this ability to give praise to god in our joyful gospel partnership let's pray god i thank you for these wonderfully encouraging words i Love these people because they show me Christ and I love Jesus only because you have made me to love Jesus. And I thank you for that. Would you grow us in this partnership that it would inspire us to go out singing and praising and rejoicing with the words of Christ on our lips. Amen.